This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. In looking over the lives of the countless men and women, and yes, even children and young people who have devoted their lives to the faith, I'm constantly in awe at what they've achieved, usually in spite of what we today would consider insurmountable odds. Their achievements and charisms in today's world often makes their accomplishments and life story seem almost impossible. But as the old adage proclaims, the proof is in the pudding, and what they did with their lives has been validated over and over again. And yet we often become so jaded we want proof. But if we dig deep enough into their lives, the proof is there. God made sure of that just as he so often gave a glimpse of what was to come and what these very special friends of his would accomplish. Just as an example, let's look back to the middle of the 14th century, a rough time in the history of the world and an equally rough time for the faith, much like today when our value system and often our very faith is challenged. Well, God sends us someone special to set the record straight and point us in the direction he wants us to follow. I have no doubt that we have people doing his will today, but we're so busy and distracted, he often has to work to just get our attention. That's what he did back on the 23rd of January in 1350. William Ferrer and his wife Constance were distinguished in their own right by their parentage and social status. They had two children, and a third was born on that date. Ah, but that child, a boy, was to be very special. And there were signs that gave a hint as to his potential greatness. Shortly before he was born, as his father was sleeping, he had a very unusual dream. In his dream, he entered his church in his town of Valencia, Spain. The church was of the Dominican order, and in his dream, as he entered the church, there was a Dominican preaching. And as William was taking his seat, the Dominican paused, looked at him, and then said something to the effect that he congratulated him, calling him by name, saying, William, in a few days you will have a son who will be an example of learning and sanctity. He will make you proud and bring honor to your house and the world, will resound with the fame of his wondrous deeds, and he will fill heaven with joy and hell with terror. He will wear the same habit as I and will be received in the church with universal joy. In his dream, William heard the congregation shout with joy and congratulated him on his son. When he awoke, he immediately told his wife of the dream, and, and they both would be able to relate the same story to her close relative, who was the local bishop. She also told him that her pregnancy was unusual, in that she experienced no pains as she had with her two previous children. But there was something different. Before his birth, it would be like the muffled sounds of a dog barking. The bishop immediately recalled that the mother of St. Dominic had related the exact same description before Dominic's birth. Consequently, the bishop said, Rejoice in the Lord, the child will be a worthy son of St. Dominic and will be called to do much good among the people by his preaching. Educate him holily, that he may correspond with the graces with which God will endow him. 
Well, the child was born, and of course it was a boy. The parents could not agree on a name, and at his baptism, the priest seemed divinely inspired and christened him Vincent, a name that indicated that one day he would conquer sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. As the baby grew, he never cried and was such an attractive child that people were immediately drawn to him. As he was reaching the toddler age, this was a period of drought horribly affecting the whole area of Valencia. It was so critical that the church was holding a procession praying for the gift of rain. Well, barely able to speak, Vincent told his mother to carry him in the procession and God would listen. Startled, she told her story to her acquaintances, and only because of her standing in the community and their knowledge of the child, Vincent, they thought, well, it would be worth a try. The procession with Vincent at a place of honor had barely ended when the sky darkened and it rained for hours. Vincent's life work had started. He was a gifted child, and his formal education started when he was only six years old. By seven, he was way ahead of any other student, and by the age of twelve, he was studying philosophy, and by fourteen, he was well into abstract courses, as well as religion, and his greatest joy was serving at the daily Mass. The years would fly by, and Vincent stayed close to God. He was now 18, and it was time to consider his future, and he would state his goal very simply. He would say, I have no longing after the riches, pleasures, and honors of this life. My love, my thoughts, and resolutions are centered on God. He would tell his father that he must enter the order of St. Dominic. Well, that was the 2nd of February in 1367, and that very night, that very same night, the prior of the Dominican convent, where Vincent intended to apply, had a vision. St. Dominic appeared to him holding a young man by the hand. The young man in the vision knelt and said, Father, behold me at your feet to become one of your religious. Then St. Dominic spoke, Receive him, he shall be your brother and my son. Well, the prior, seeing the star on Dominic's forehead, instantly recognized him and, and dropped to his knees, and the vision instantly vanished. The next morning, Vincent with his father met with the prior, and dropping to his knees, saying that he wished to follow the will of God and to serve him under the standard of St. Dominic. And that's how Vincent entered the order. Words cannot describe the joy Vincent experienced in receiving his habit and resolved to make his life as close an example to that of the life of St. Dominic as possible. Well, needless to say, Vincent thrust himself completely in his studies so that he might go and preach the gospel throughout the world. While he may have been the youngest member of the convent at that time, he was quickly looked upon as the first in holiness. Several months after entering the novitiate, his mother came to visit him and dissolved into tears when they met, pleading with him to return home. She missed him so much. 
Being a loving son, he could not withstand her tears and said that he would leave, but questioned her when she gave him her blessing. He quoted St. Bernard as saying, He who leaves the convent to return to the world quits the company of angels and joins that of the devil. Well, she realized that even if he left the convent, his heart would be there, and she withdrew her request and went home. On the way home, she was stopped by a poor person asking her if she had forgotten her husband's dream and the signs that they had been given, the barking and so forth. And then she was asked, would you now frustrate the accomplishment of the divine will? Well, this consoled her, and the man suddenly disappeared. She realized he must have been from heaven to put her mind at peace. And so Vincent became a Dominican and earned many degrees and honors in all his studies to enable him to preach the word of God by mouth and example. He even learned Hebrew to better understand the messages of the Bible firsthand. He also learned to speak Greek and Arabic. And with all his studying, his knowledge and understanding of Scripture was phenomenal, and he started his preaching in the year 1372 in Barcelona. And again, because of his eloquence, inspired by his belief, the number of conversions were huge, and he attracted people from miles around who would come through many difficulties to hear him preach, and, and God would give him special charisms to prove Vincent as a true messenger. It was during this period that Barcelona and the entire area was suffering again from a terrible famine. People were starving and stormed heaven with prayers. But Vincent told them that they must repent of their sins and place their confidence in God. God had sent them evils and difficulties to test them, and it was up to them to repent because if they did, God would not ignore them. Then, as if inspired by God himself, he made a dramatic promise that that very night, two vessels would arrive with enough provisions to end the famine. Now at that very time, the sea was in the midst of a ferocious storm with high winds and towering waves. The majority of the crowd scoffed at him. The credibility that had once been so high was now challenged. Later, he sought sanctuary in the chapel where he spent the remainder of the day on the knees praying before the altar, praying for their lack of faith in God's providence. As the hours passed and evening approached, the wind seemed to abate, and people saw on the distant horizon the masts of two ships headed for the port. When they arrived later in the evening, they were loaded with grain and foodstuffs, and if that were not enough, over the next several weeks, twenty more ships arrived, and the people repented. Now and in the future, they would believe and obey everything Vincent would tell them. In 1377, he was sent to Toulouse and then to Paris for a year before returning for a time to Valencia, where he spent six years in charge of theological courses. And in 1388, he earned a doctorate of theology, not for his own ego, but to better enable him to do all that God would call him to do. 
His continuous study was also a gift to God, frequently interrupted by continuous prayers during the day and night, a life of humility and a practice that earned a multitude of graces from above. Once, during his evening prayers, he was gazing upon a crucifix while meditating on the sufferings of Christ. He was moved to tears, crying, O Lord, you have suffered on the cross. Well, the head on the crucifix turned toward Vincent, and he heard the words, Yes, Vincent, I have borne all these sufferings and even more. Then the head returned to the position it had been. That very crucifix has been preserved to this day where it's kept in a high place of honor. Vincent was actually 31 years of age before he attained his ultimate goal of the priesthood. In those days and in that place, men were older when they reached the full beauty of the priesthood. Now, Father Vincent Ferrer was moving full speed ahead. But somehow in today's world, even with his undeniable lifetime of accomplishments, he's not as well known as so many other saints. And to him, that wouldn't matter. It was not just one act or one event or one miracle that earned him the title of the angel of judgment, but a compilation of his entire life. To do a chronological history of Vincent Ferrer would take far more time than we have today. So instead, I'd like to touch on just a few, a very few, of the accomplishments God saw fit to work through his dedicated servant who was charged with the tasks by God himself to preach the gospel to the world, and he did because he knew it so well. Perhaps his success was because he lived only to serve God and to leave others to serve him as well. And to accomplish this would require the ultimate degree of perfection, not only in his preaching, but in the everyday activities of his daily life. As a guide, he wrote a treatise on the spiritual life that has fortunately been preserved to this very day. He strove to improve every day the piety of his monastic life, which was not easy, due sometimes to assaults by the devil himself on Vincent, assaults that were unsuccessful because of his complete dedication and holiness. In his spiritual guide, he even describes specific assaults by Satan. Now, hard as it is to believe in today's world, or perhaps better described as hard to accept, Satan is not idle, and in many cases he himself had personally tempted or assaulted a saint. In our own time, we know that Satan attacked St. Pio of Pietrocina, or perhaps better known as Padre Pio. This was also a time of great schism, with two pretenders to the papacy at Avignon. He attempted to mediate and, at not succeeding at first, became seriously ill, and it seemed that no medical assistance would help. For about a week and a half, it seemed he was at death's door. But suddenly, his cell was illuminated by the brightness of a heavenly light. When our Lord, accompanied by a host of angels, as well as Saints Francis and Dominic, spoke to Vincent and said, Arise and be consoled. The schism will soon be at an end. Arise then and go to preach against vice. 
For this have I specially chosen thee. Exhort sinners to repent, for my judgment is at hand. Maybe, just maybe, that might be something for us to think about, too. Anyway, our Lord promised Vincent three favors. First, that he would be confirmed in grace, that he would be victorious over all the persecutions raised against him, and probably the most important of all, that he would be victorious over all the persecutions that would be raised against him, and that that all of his conflicts, the divine assistance would never fail him. And after that, preaching the judgment throughout Europe, he would be called home to his eternal reward in a distant country and ended the heavenly visit by touching him on the face with his right hand and saying to him a second time, Vincent, arise, and then he disappeared. To his surprise, Vincent found that he had been cured. On the very brink of death, he was now in perfect health. This particular apparition became known to a religious who was recording a biography of Vincent, and the account reached the ears of Pope Benedict XIII, and from his request for confirmation, Father Vincent wrote the Holy Father that the story was correct, but in humility he told the story in the third person. This was the time when the church was under attack and faced with the schism, and the world was besieged by many heretics and false prophets, and as the days of old, the worship of idols was starting again. But it was starting to rear its sacrilegious head, and the church needed perhaps more than at any time in history someone to preach the gospel and set the world straight. And of course it appears that heaven had selected Vincent Ferrer for that job. People of that day, it seems, were living for the moment. God and his word were not only being ignored, the word was being scoffed at more and more. After all, this was a period of pleasure. Why worry about the consequences? Judgment day? Who worries about that? Live for today. Sound familiar? Well, Vincent's assignment was clear. He was to move through the world as they described him as the angel of the apocalypse, whose job it became to warn the world of the terrible consequences it faced, the loss of souls, the eternity facing the damned, and so his job continued. He had been shaped by a celestial hand for this very moment and would travel through many countries, sowing the seeds of salvation to many people speaking many languages. That was to be his job, his purpose, that for which he came to this earth. This evangelization evangelization bringing the world back to God, and now at the age of 49, he would accept this challenge and work wonders for the remainder of his life. Even more than before, he was attracting not only people who listened and were converted, but people who would travel with him as he went from town to town on foot and would assist and serve the people he attracted. His audiences became so great that churches were not large enough to handle the crowds. Consequently, most of his sermons would have to be held out of doors, and his audiences would number in the thousands. And though he spoke several languages, his audiences would understand him in their own language, much like the apostles from that day of the Holy Spirit. 
True to his vows, he would always obtain permission from the local bishop before preaching in his diocese, and before entering any village, would fall to his knees in prayer, seeking God's guidance that he might effectively and accurately reflect God's words. And before he preached a word, he would visit the principal church and pray before the Eucharist. As one can imagine, the strain of doing this missionary work day in and day out became terrible, but Vincent never slackened his pace and allowed himself only five hours maximum of sleep a night, usually sleeping on the floor with the Bible as his pillow. After his sermons, the sick would be brought to him and he would bless them, and, and many would be cured on the spot. When that happened, someone would ring a bell, and it was referred to as the miracle of the bells because there were so many cures. His days were full, and after his sermons and blessing the sick, he would spend the remainder of the day hearing confessions, meditating in silence, preaching to the monks, or simply praying where he found the words that would so inspire the thousands to whom he would preach. And when he would enter a village, he also preached love and forgiveness and was reluctant to leave any town or village until anyone who had a grudge or disagreement with his neighbor had that disagreement resolved. After all, he preached love and forgiveness and even had people with him who would record the resolutions of disagreements so there was no later misunderstandings. One listener was so impressed at his sermons that he was asked, From what book do you draw your sermons and your topics? Well, Vincent held up his crucifix and said, See, this is the book from which I gather all that I preach and in which I study my sermons, my Bible. Not only was he restoring the faith by word, but also by miracles. Everywhere he went, there were miraculous cures, and perhaps even more miraculous than the cures were the great numbers of people who would travel with him and assist with the huge crowds that he drew. There had to be order, so those who were with him fell into three categories. The first were the religious who assisted and were likened to a traveling convent, And secondly, there were those clothed in the third order of Dominic and dressed in plain and somber garb or habits or who were also approved by the Holy See. And the rest were what we might call common people who did various jobs in the towns they visited. They all had been inspired by Vincent and the numbers traveling with him were also in the thousands. There were even those who went ahead and found places for them to stay and someone to feed them. They were all traveling after being inspired by Vincent, and his group were said to have been in the tens of thousands over the years from every walk in life, inspired to serve God through Vincent Ferrer. Many of his followers in this group have had the honor of being beatified. Only God knows the number of souls Vincent had saved over the twenty-odd years he spent in his travels. And as the time and years passed, Vincent's health finally had waned. He needed support in walking, but when he got up to preach, he was once again filled with the fire and vigor of a youth. 
during his lifetime and during travels, it would be impossible to count the number of miracles that have been directly attributed to him through God. For example, one biographer said that if he only performed eight miracles a day, which was considered very low, a very low figure at the time, and that that number multiplied by his years of preaching and traveling would amount to over 58,000 miracles. And those traveling with him said the numbers were far greater than that. There is no question of the good that Vincent Ferrer provided to the church. Congregations were said to weep and mass when asked to think about the sins they had committed and how they had offended God. One account written for the Bishop of Carthagena in Spain said, The arrival of Vincent Ferrer has produced immense good in this country and this city in particular. At the close of his preaching and with God's grace was delivered from every vice and public sin. The people of this city have never confessed so frequently. Well, Vincent was once praying for the conversion of souls when he saw a nun deep in prayer, praying for souls also. And then he had a vision of Christ and heard him say to the nun, Thy tears, my daughter, are most agreeable, and I joyfully hear thy prayers. But these ungrateful and guilty people who outrage the law and blaspheme my name have little claim on my pity. On the contrary, they provoke my justice. Wow, that's something for us to think about. And the nun, well, she became Saint Colette. Well, there are more stories about Vincent Ferrer, but I'll close with Vincent meeting Francina Borgia, who was soon to give birth to a child. He went over to her and said, You will have a son. Take great care of this little child, because he will be Pope one day, and he will canonize me. Vincent Ferrer was to give his soul to God on the 5th of April in 1419, and as he was dying, the windows of his room suddenly opened by unseen hands, and a flock of birds, no larger than butterflies, entered, very beautiful and whiter than snow. As Vincent took his last breath, they disappeared, and as he left, as they left the room, the whole room seemed filled with what was like scented perfume. Undoubtedly, they were angels sent to escort Vincent's soul to heaven. And yes, the young child became Pope Calixtus III, and he canonized Father Victor Ferrer, a saint. Do you have someone whose faith needs a boost? Remember St. Vincent Ferrer, the angel of judgment in your prayers. I'm sure he'll be glad to help because he's just a prayer away. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.